Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? I oh, know. Stop. Stop. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, there you go. Don't let that rain get to you. Watch out for them cloudy skies. The sun is always shining, right? Amen. Listen, uh, we deem it a privilege and an honor to be able to be here this morning and to uh, really partner with you guys in the gospel uh, as God uses us to enhance his kingdom. Uh, there's nothing uh, that I would rather do than to be a part of God's servants serving him. Uh, this is what the church is all about. We're servants. Uh, I always try to tell people that uh, in God's kingdom, there's no democracy. I'll let that soak in for a little bit. There is a king. And the rest are servants. It makes no difference what kind of title you put before your name. You're a servant. That's if you have tasted the goodness of God. I just want to share with you this morning how grateful that I am. Uh, but before I get to that, I want to share something with you that I would be remiss. That when we planted this church 20 years ago, God just didn't call me. He called my wife as well. Uh, as we look at how he called uh, Abram to do something, well, he had to call Sarah as well. It took Sarah a little while, like it took my wife a year uh, after he called me, but I could not move until she was ready. And then when she came to me and said she was ready, then God moved us forward to plant this church in 2003. And we just thank God for what he has been doing ever since and how he has blessed us to touch many souls, not just in Kansas City, but across this country as well. Uh, I am so grateful and honored to be a servant of God. So I want you to pay homage to my wife, Lenita Evans, whose shoulder right now is hurting. So she, she just throws her hands up. Uh, she has also had, in the past two years, uh, God has blessed her with two new knees. And so uh, she is getting to the point to where that is functioning properly, but now the left shoulder. So I ask that you pray for uh, that pain. She may not be her joy, joyous self today because that, that shoulder is acting up, but uh, just be praying for her as well. Um, I thank you, God. Thank you, Clint, for the invite. I thank you for all the, the things that uh, Staten has done to come alongside of us. Uh, so let me just share this word with you. We're coming from Jeremiah 17, verses 1 through 10. Jeremiah 17, verses 1 through 10. Uh, I'll be reading from the NASB, the New American Standard. The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus, with a diamond point. It is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. And as they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their astrum. But green trees, by, me, by green trees on the high hills, O mountain of mine in the, in the countryside, I would give over your wealth and all your treasures for, for booty. 
your high places for sin throughout your borders, and you will, even of yourself, let go of all your inheritance that I gave you. I will, give, I will make you serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger, which will burn forever. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust in the Lord for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Their heart is more deceitful than all else uh, and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways according to the results of his deeds. One of the things that I, I thought about that when I got saved is why did I do what I did? When I thought I was a good person, when I thought that even the treacherous things or the wicked things that I did uh, and I assist people in, I thought those were good deeds. I did not understand my nature. I did not understand how I was enslaved to sin. I did not understand what uh, my desires were and what my cravings were, what was drawing me. I did not understand me. Thusly, we look at this world. This world really doesn't understand itself. When I talk about world, I'm talking about the people. The people really doesn't un, people really don't understand themselves, and as we look in this chapter and we look in the book of Jeremiah and we look at chapter seventeen, we see this nation, and we're talking about this concept. Uh, he asked me, "Give me, give a title." Well, it's a down a downfall of a nation, of a group of people who who are supposed to be God's people, but not understanding their true nature not understanding our cravings, not understanding our desires and our feelings and how they manipulate us and are being used by a satanic being to draw us away from God. I love it when I hear uh, people say, I don't understand what is happening. But it baffles me when I hear that from people who who are supposed to be mature Christians. That baffles me more than anything because the scripture clearly states about our condition. We just, we just sang a song, and one of the things in that song, and we look at all the way in the book of Revelation, the, one of the characteristics, the major characteristics of God, and it's repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. It is that character that exposes us. It is that character that helps us to be able to bow down to him and to look at ourselves in the proper way. There's times in which we look at ourselves too highly, 
Scripture tells us that. The Bible tells us pride cometh before the fall. But we don't even recognize the fall when we're so caught up in self. And my heart is aching for this country and for the world. My, my, my heart is aching for the body of Christ as it is limping along as though it doesn't know. There's so many false prophets out here that people are listening to. And let me tell you this, your pastor is not one of them. He is a man of God, a student of the Bible. And he hangs around people who love the word of God, who the spirit uses to exegese it properly to be able to communicate God's truth through the power of the Holy Spirit and not by a clever saying here or there from the wisdom of men. Let me say this right quickly. Uh, I want to go to this passage of scripture, then I'm going to get to this text right quick. Uh, I, I just want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want you to look at verses 1 through 5, and I'm just going to read them to you. This is Paul coming to the Corinthian church, and he's coming in a way that he wants them to understand this humility of how he's coming. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except mm, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We have to turn away from false prophets. Prophets tickles our ears. When we look in the Bible, and, and especially in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 14, we see one of the reasons why Judah went astray. In verses 13, starting in verse 13, he says this, But our Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor command them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, fertility, and a deception of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name. Although I was not, I will send them, yet they kept saying they shall, uh, there shall be no sword of famine in this land. My sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. The very first thing, the things that they were prophesying wouldn't happen, God is not going to allow it to happen on them. It's important for us to realize and understand that our hearing must be that which the Spirit has opened up so we can hear the truth of God. We see it in the book of Revelation uh, through 
the, the sharing and the commitment of communicating through the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Each ending, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to God's people. So when we get to this context here in Judah in chapter 17, verse 1 through 10, I, I wanted people, God wanted me to help people to realize and understand as well as Jeremiah. Matter of fact, Jeremiah uh, was kind of hesitant of being a prophet based on the fact that he looked at his age. And I want to help people, uh, especially our young folk when they're in their age. Jeremiah was around 17 years old when God called him, a teenager to speak to a group of people that would not hear what he had to say. And let me just say about a true prophet. A true prophet is going to come sharing God's word, his truth, his message. And I'm going to tell you, people who, who hear that message are not going to like that prophet. A true prophet is going to share God's truth that according and is going to be contrary to, the, to man's heart. He's not going to like it. God is going to correct people through a prophet. He is going to also cast judgments uh, by that prophet if people don't repent. They hated Jeremiah. But God also did something with Jeremiah to help him to realize and understand how he felt. Jeremiah did not get married. He did not have children. He was, did not have friends. He basically was alone. And God wanted him to realize and understand how Judah has turned their back on me. And I want you to feel how it is to not have someone next to you who loves you and cares for you. A hard heart is something that needs to be broken. But only God can do it. We live in a society that has a hard heart when it comes to the word of God. So let me just share four things with you in this passage of scripture. First is the verses one through four. I want to talk about the consequences of a hard heart. Because as we see in chapter 17, we're looking at Judah. Judah, who just have went astray, who have forgotten what God has done. When you forget what God has done, your heart then turns away from God and it turns from what it desires. Then as it receives what it desires, it begins to become hardened to the word of God. It doesn't want to hear that. Judah's heart has gotten so hard that they have to get a, a diamond tip. I love the imagery here. To be able for Satan to engrave even more sin into a sinful heart that was already hardened. That talks about the severity of the heart. It was so hard that it took a special tool to engrave even more corruption within that heart. A hardened heart cannot hear God. A hardened God will not accept the word of God. A hardened heart seeks after his own pleasures. This is what Judah did. Judah turned from God and, got, and, and went back to the influences of Egypt and to the idolatry of other gods. 
And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 19, he says this, So this I say, and I solemnly affirm together with the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the fertility of their minds. For their understanding is darkened, and their reasoning is clouded, and self-banished from the life of God because of the ignorance and spiritual blindness that is within them because of the hardness and sensitivity of their heart. Paul is sharing with the Ephesians church, don't walk like that, don't live like that, because that heart is influenced by demonic influence. Judah's heart was inscribed with corruption. That's one of the consequences when we walk away from God. The engraving too is mentioned in this verse, talks about how severe the hardness of the heart was that sin, rebellion against God, and let's just call it what it is. Sin is totally rebellion against God. It is refusing God to be my God. I'm going to be my God. I am going to assume what, what Satan said in the garden. I am going to decide what's best for me. I am going to now look at what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, not to be influenced by him again. That sin was so ingrained within them that they were deadened toward anything of God. They are ruled by their sinful desires. And this is any human being in their natural state. I was ruled by sin. I rebelled by, by, uh, against God. But here's the thing about a person who's never known Christ. They don't know. Jesus made it very clear when he was being raised upon that cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let's not condemn the world. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Let's not condemn those who oppose us. But let us with compassion share a message, the only message that can change the lives and the hearts of people. No law can do that. No congressman can do that. No senator can do that. No president can do that. Amen. And we need to look to the true king of kings. Judah's heart was influential to their children. We look at verse 2. Their children were being groomed to serve a God that was foreign, a God that is not God. This is why we have generations after the baby boomer age who don't know God. It's the same concept that we look in the book of Exodus, and in chapter 1, we see that there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And it's based on the fact that they quit talking about Joseph. Baby boomers quit talking about Jesus. They quit going to church. They didn't want to what was placed upon them to be placed upon their children. They want their children to have more freedom, to have more choice, but not understanding what they were doing. So we see here in verse 2, we see that the children are very susceptible to the influence of their parents and those who they think cares for them. So the children of Judah were groomed to worship the false gods and idols, which would cause the next generation to walk further away from God and truth. This is reality. This is what we see. The question, the rhetorical question that should come to all of us is this. Or I, am I, as a parent, discipling my child, or am I allowing the world to do that? Am I spending time with my child in prayer? 
Am I spending time with my child in the word of God? Am I spending time with my child answering their questions about, about God, about the world, about who they are, about their identity? Or am I allowing someone else who I don't know just because they have a certificate on the wall and I give my child to a daycare person who I don't know? Or I give myself to a public school system that is indoctrinating lies to my children, not educating them on the things of academia, but trying to educate them based on identity and gender. We have walked far, far away from God. Judah's heart was, a, was the initiator of their clock. It's because of their hearts that they walked so far away from God. Because of Judah's departure from the worship of God, that I believe unknowingly gave up the possessions and the peace that God had provided for them through his promise of giving them a land of milk and honey and enslaved them to a nation who worshiped false gods who were more evil than they were as punishment for their departure. God will use, and, and if you were in Sunday school class with, 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 with Clint today, he was talking about how God will use even wicked people to pass judgment on those who walk away. And we would even ask the question, why, why is God using somebody as evil as that? He must be saying, no, God uses any and all things to get his plan across. So we can't blame. Judah cannot blame anyone but themselves for their loss of the privileges and the promises and the prosperity that God has promised them. They gave it up by turning it away from God. Those are the consequences of a hardened heart. But the second thing we see here in verses 5 to 8, there's a contrast of hope. Those who don't know God are going to be dependent upon themselves. Mankind has turned to their academia, have turned to their own intelligence. And let me share this with us right quickly. Intelligence does not talk about how smart we are. Intelligence tells us that we have the capabilities of learning. Wisdom will be a fruit of listening to God. We look at a situation and a circumstance and we see how mankind, that we make choices and decisions based on how our heart is. If my heart is evil, and, and, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7, that you would know them by their what? By their fruit. Somebody walk with me. By a good tree and a bad tree. And it's going to be based on the things that what is exposed within that fruit, within that person. That is going to describe what kind of person that person is. It's the character of that fruit. So the Bible tells us and helps us to realize this. In verse 5 and verse 6, we hear this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Uh, right off the bat, that ought to scare the rest out of you. Cursed is the man. Who trusts us? How can we trust any human being that is like me? Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Do you trust you? Do you trust 
what you say and what you do? Do you trust in what you believe? Do you trust you as being the Lord of your life? Do you trust you as what, what is best for my child, what's best for me? Do you trust your moral morality? Do you trust your right and wrong? Because if you trust that, God can't be your God. You would be the very entity that will cause your downfall and your family's downfall. It's important for us, the concept of trust. Faith is, is like a cupcake. You have the chocolate icing on the outside, is good, but within there is a white center I call trust. I can have faith in that chair, but not trust it. I believe that chair can hold me, but I ain't gonna sit down in it because I just don't trust my faith. Faith must have some action. Trust motivates the action. If I trust in God, I always make this claim because I want people to understand what I'm saying. So I, I, I say things that will catch people's ears like God does. I don't trust my wife. Yeah, say that to your wife, why don't you? <laughs> But I don't trust my wife. She understands why I don't. You want to know I don't trust my wife? I don't trust me. I can't trust what I would do in any situation or circumstance. I can't trust me because I can't control my emotions at times. I can't control my desires at times. Neither can my wife. Guess who I trust? I trust God. I trust God based on the fact that I got to know God. And one of the things that he showed me and tells me that everything he says in his word that I, he wanted me to do and commanded me to do, and I did, everything happened. I trust what he says. I trust who he is because he's not a man who should what? So when I, when I, when I tell people I trust God because, because I trust God, he's the one that brought us together, I trust my wife. Not based on her, but based on him because he gave me my wife. Are, are we hearing this? I will never trust a human being, ever. But I will trust the people that God used, because God will use them in a way based on the fact of for his glory. I can trust Clint. Why? I know something of Clint. I have watched Clint. He, he is a good tree. His fruit displays that. The way that he goes about doing things, loving his wife. He places his family above anybody else. He places his family before you, and that's what he should do. Because his first priority is should, should be to God. That's my first priority is to God. My second priority is to my wife. Not to my children, but to my wife. Then my children get the benefit of me being a godly man who, who then pours into my wife and my children now see what a relationship, that, that, that spiritual relationship between Christ and the church is supposed to look like. They reap the benefit of it. Are we catching this? So this contract, the dependency on the creature, to depend upon mankind is to remove oneself from the present power, peace, provision, precepts, Protection of God's man's natural tendencies is to lead and govern oneself based on self-proclaimed morality 
and righteousness, which was influenced by the father of lies in the garden. There is a way that seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but his end leads to death. Now, one of the things is this. When I looked at that, that I first read that verse, guess what? I read three other verses in the book of Proverbs that basically says the same thing. Anytime that, at, at, that when we went to Bible college and seminary, they always tell you this. Anytime God repeats himself, you need to pay attention to it. Well, he repeats himself in this way. Whatever seems, and the concept, that the major concept in that is the word seem or appears. It seems as though. It appears as though. That's the word, that, the two words I use with our congregation. I said you can never judge a person's heart. All you can do is assume. All you can do is seem, it seems as though that you know God. It appears as though that you love people. But one of the things I can't do, and we're going to get to this, I can't read your heart. So if anybody is prejudging, somebody walk with me. If anybody is prejudging anybody else based on what they see without knowing and understanding what they're seeing, they are being led by a false reality. Their heart is hardened. They have not walked with God. God is the only one that could know the heart of man. Man's righteousness leads him into a place without God, the wilderness, which is a metaphorical uh, aspect of spiritual death. Why did Jesus get led by the Spirit into the wilderness? That's where they were. It's where mankind is. We're in the wilderness. Dry bones. Somebody walk with me. When Adam and Eve was kicked out of the garden where life was, they were gone into the wilderness. That's death. That's separation from God. So when Jesus was born of a woman, come on with me, somebody, who came into this world, he had become flesh because he had to go into a territory where there was no life to bring forth life. That's the purpose of him coming because he is life. And anybody who's not connected with Christ are not living. They are existing. They are biologically uh, moving and breathing and speaking, but they are not alive spiritually. Some churches are being influenced by their dependency on man through, the, through seductive speech, satanic oratory, flattering remarks, stroking the ego as though man has the ability through his own wisdom and his works to enter into, a, enter into an eternal relationship with God without God. Dependency on the creator, verse 7 and 8. Here's the thing right here. Blessed, right off the bat, happy. I love James. It says, you, you, you know, that blessed is the man who does the will of God. Uh, so if you want to be happy, do what God says. It's about as simple as that. But it's as difficult as it is to pull teeth without knowing what you're doing. It's simple to say all you need is faith in God, but first there must be a conviction, correct? Because without the conviction that you are a sinner, there is no repentance. Somebody walk just a little bit with me. And repentance is that thing that causes me to turn from one point to another. 
And in this concept of repentance, it's a concept of, of embracing Christ as my Savior. Because now I know that I am a sinner. The same thing that the thief on the cross realized before he went to paradise. I love how some people have communicated on that scene. Uh, I forgot his name. I think it's Alistair. He said it like this. He's, he, he, he said, when I get to heaven, I just want to ask this guy, how in the world did you get to heaven? He told me I can come. Simple as that, man. Wasn't baptized. Didn't go to Bible study. Are y'all hearing me? Didn't worship with other people. Didn't go to church. But he worshiped on that cross before he died because he recognized the true and living God. John the Baptist came to, so God can use him to bring forth repentance. That means that's, that, that, that people had to recognize their sin. So here's the characterization of, the, of a human heart. I mean, the dependency, I want to go back to the dependency on, on the creator. God repeats himself by sharing with Jeremiah and Psalm 1-3. He already shares in this concept, but now he's going back. I want you to get this because I want you to hear me again. He says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and example, nor stand in the pattern of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law, his precepts and his teachings. He habitually meditates day and night, and he would be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaves does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Did y'all hear that? The fruit that is produced in the, in the fruit of the Spirit is the result of his presence, is love. That's unselfish concern for others. There's joy, inner peace, patience, how I act while waiting, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this thing, there is no law. That's fruit. So when trouble comes, and if I am planted, because I like this picture, if I'm a tree planted by the stream, and it is hot, 200 degrees outside, wind is scorching, but I'm planted by the river. And it seems as though that the, the environment doesn't affect me, because why? My leaves are still green. And I don't worry about the wind that's coming against me. I'm planted next to the life source that gives me life, that gives me the ability, that gives to stand when all these things come toward me, I don't worry about it. He said, blessed is the man. So we need to stay connected to the life source. We need to stay connected to the one who brings forth life. He said in himself that he is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. These are troubling times. Y'all need to hear me real quick here. These are troubling times, and Satan is doing everything he can to get you to compromise. To get you to walk away from the stream of life. Back into the desert of despair. 
He's trying his best to cause you to look at the word of God as hate. That it causes other people to create to commit suicide because they don't understand who they are, but they want you to, to validate their mythical aspect of who their identity is. We have to stay true to the word of God, not condemning or beating people over the head with it, but sharing it compassionately for those who need to hear. Here's the conditions, the characterization of a human heart. Verse 9, I'm going to do this real quick. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful, which means that, guess what? Your heart can manipulate you into loving lies. How many of you have told a lie and you believe that lie? Come on with me, somebody. And you got upset with people when people called you on that lie. That's how deceptive that heart is. The second thing about the heart is this, is that it, the depravity of the heart. That thing is rotten, doc. People don't want to see this about themselves. They want to understand it about themselves. Because I ask people this question. Is there good in, every, in every, all human beings? And people will tell me yes. Well, from a human perspective, I will agree with that. But from a biblical one, no. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 3, guess what? None is good, not one, not even one. Nobody's good. We don't like to say that about ourselves because we want to promote ourselves. That's why people don't realize and understand. Human beings didn't write this book based on who they are. Because they wouldn't write it like that. How, why would I call myself a sheep? Because sheep is a dumb animal, man. Why would, I, why would I look at myself as needing a God or needing a Savior? Even Mary sang it in her magnificent. She said, Lord, my Savior. There is no righteous human being that ever was born except for the man of God. There was one who was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. When, 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 the, when, when Mary came in full of grace, John the Baptist flipped in his mom's womb. Somebody hear me. You didn't flip. Because <laughs> he was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, one thing I love about John the Baptist is that he did things publicly and he did not care. Are y'all hearing me? He did something that we need to do more often. I will hear people say this. Listen to this real good. People will say this. Pastor Clint said this. Pastor Clint said that. That's fine. That's good. I, I, you're learning. But here's what Pastor Clint should do, as John the Baptist did. He was standing there one day, and he had two of his disciples. Jesus was passing by. Jesus did, and John the Baptist said this, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. He pointed toward Jesus. Guess what his disciples did? Left him and went to Jesus. This is what Clint and I and other pastors are supposed to do. Point you toward Jesus. Not toward ourselves. I can't save you. And in reality, in my nature, I wouldn't want to. Y'all ain't hearing nothing what I said. Because <laughs> I, I am not the, the holy, holy, holy one. As some people may think about themselves. 
So we look at that concept that the heart is, is deceitful, is full of depravity, but it's also difficult. Who can understand it, man? Who can understand this heart? Why people do? I didn't understand why I did what I did, let alone why other people do what they do. <clears throat> How can a person who knows if I was to take this, this will kill me, but I take it anyway because it brings me some pleasure. Help me. I ain't trying to pry in people's business, but they put warnings on things. About clear day, they put warnings on them, don't they? Could call cancer, but I'm getting ready to suck it down. Y'all ain't hearing me, right? Doctor told this one dude, if you eat any more fried chicken, you're going to die. He said, doctor, get your black suit because I'm going to eat me some chicken. <laughs> the concept of it is, is this. Do we really value ourselves as we say we do? Or do we bow down to our cravings and our pleasures? Do we bow down to our feelings and our emotions? I don't see anywhere in the Bible, y'all correct me, theologians, y'all correct me, where people, where God called anybody based on a feeling. I feel as though God, I don't see that. Be careful about your feelings because they're manipulative. Understand that you have a sinful heart who want, and Satan want to place you in a position that he don't, that God don't want you to be in. Matter of fact, who's building the church anyway? Jesus told me, I will build my church. That means he will place us where he wants us to be. The scriptures tells us what positions we're supposed to have and how we're supposed to function in the body of Christ. Last thing, verse 10. The comprehension of the human heart. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and full of power. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the vision of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrows. That is the deepest part of human nature. Exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Understand this. We need to get this right. I, I just want us to share this. In Matthew 7 and Mark 7, he talks about the concepts of the characteristics of the heart and what comes out of the heart. First of all, the heart is connected to our thoughts. That means that in the Hebrew and in the Greek, there is a word that could be interpreted heart or mind. They're synonymous. Whatever in my heart is produced in my mind. And if I think about it long enough, it then is manifest into where people can see. So, if you hear lies, it was in my heart, vividly thought about in my mind, and was produced through my mouth. If I steal, if I kill, if I hate, that's where it's coming from. That's the source. That's the seat. People talk about guns. Guns to kill people. No, they don't. And I'm not going to say the old cliche where people kill people. I want you to understand the heart. If I want to kill you, I can kill you with a pencil. 
I don't need a gun. It's not the instrument of death. It's the heart that has a mindset to do. Unless this changes, mankind is steady going downward. Thusly, we see in prophecy how it's been prophesied that there is going to be a great apostasy of falling away from the church. We see it right now, don't we? And God will send upon people in the tribulation period, people who believe in such a way to understand this. God knows the heart. He knows it better than us. He knows when a heart will be changed, what will be willing to change and one will not. And one will not. He will give it what it wants. He will send delusions upon people. He says that in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says that. So the aspect that we're seeing right now is that I believe that, ain't no doubt about it, we know that Jesus is coming back. Y'all know it, right? Y'all do know that, right? Y'all do know that, right? And we see, if we understand, we see the signs, we see things that are happening. Birth pains are taking place. Here's my concern. My concern is for the body of Christ, not the world. Because it's the body of Christ that needs to be healthy for God to use to go help the world. If we give off a bad example, then we are causing people to sin. We can't be compromising. We cannot be consoling. I hear people do this a lot. There, there is going to be okay. No, it's not. Unless there is a conviction by the Spirit of God, Unless there is repentance, unless there is an acknowledgement of my sin and the need of a Savior, and to acceptance of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and to believe that he, that he is my substitute upon that cross, that the Father, during the time of darkness, laid his hand on his Son to transfer my sin to him. In which he cried out in a loud voice, Abba, Abba, why hast thou forsaken me? Because all the sins of mankind is now upon him. But even during that period of time, there was a transfer. Y'all need to hear me. A transfer of my sins on him, but his righteousness on me. To where when I stand, when my father sees me, he sees the righteousness of his son. We still have uh, an advocate. We still have an accuser. And if you're not grown, yeah, I didn't use the word maturity, I said grown, didn't I? If you ain't grown up Christians, Satan can manipulate, manipulate you as though you've never been saved. And you are surrendered. You can't surrender your soul because it belongs to God, if you're saved. But you can surrender your mind. So he can manipulate you all the way to the end. You being saved as though through fire. I don't want to live that, that way. 
I want to live in the confidence and the boldness of the Holy Spirit, standing true, willing to die for my Savior. Clint says some things that it's important for us to realize. A time is coming, and it's here, and it's going to get worse. To preach out of this is going to be a hate crime. They're already doing it in Canada. People are going to jail for sharing the truth. People over in other countries are, are losing their lives based on this word of God. Here's my question. Are you willing to die for the sake of Christ? Because that's what it's going to take. Where does your faith lie? Is your heart hardened? God can soften it. This is the hope he gave Israel. He said to them, I will be your God. I will bring you back. He just didn't leave them. I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And you will be my people and I will be your God. There is hope. As long as the people are living and breathing, there's still Father, thank you for looking past our sins, seeing our need, putting us into service, giving us a commission, loving us in such a way that it's so profound that it baffles us at times. But what is a privilege it is to be called children of God? I pray, Father, that not only this church, but all your churches, all your people stand bold willing to die for your sake, willing to stand firmly upon the rock of your truth, that they build their houses on top of that rock and not on sand, that they may be the pillars of the church in which you have called us, and that's the pillars of truth, that we stand on this truth, and your truth, as Jesus said it in his high priestly prayer, your word is truth. May we stand on it, may we live by it, May we share it because that truth has a message that can save mankind, and that is the gospel. And may we not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, Lord, thank you, of salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.